Hey Academy, Tammy here. And Neil here. And we are in Israel. And we have had the most amazing time. We have already, this is only day two. Day two, and it's been wonderful. We've already experienced so many amazing things. And we want to talk a little bit about where we currently are. Um, you'll see behind us, we're actually on Mount Hermon. And behind us, behind us, you can see not only the border of Israel behind us, but also Lebanon and Syria. So right here where we are, you can see three countries. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And this very well may be the place of the transfiguration. So I want to read Matthew 17 to you, and I want you to picture this right here at this location. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And this is the high mountain in this area, so that's why we think this might be the area. And it's the highest mountain in Israel. Yes. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the gr ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. And the significance of these two characters, primary characters from the Old Testament, is that one represented the law, Moses, and the other, Elijah, represented the prophets. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. And to have him here with these two characters from the Old Testament is a, just a testament to his not only uh, being the lordship of our lives and his church, but of the whole world. Uh, and it's such an amazing opportunity to just stand here and see what uh, possibly, possibly was the place where all this took yeah. place. And it represents for us in Academy where we've been, and where studying, we're going. studying redemptive Old Testament yeah. history and where we're going in the, New in Testament. the fall, studying yeah. New Testament redemptive history. So we just wanted to say hello. Also want to let you know that we do have a date for we this do. trip. For this trip, it is April 1st through the 10th, 2004. 24. Well, that's right. 2024. April 1st through 10th, 2024. We hope you'll be praying about joining this trip. And we just want to say hello. We'll see you this 26th. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye. this room have been to Israel? Raise your hand if you've been to Israel. Of you that are raising your hand, how many would say you ought to go to Israel? Raise your hand. Yeah, go to Israel. Go to Israel. That's a great opportunity there. So thanks to Tammy and Neil and the team there to uh, give us an update. Uh, let me just do a, a real quick uh, business item. If you're sitting there feeling warm tonight, it is not because you have a fever coming on. It is because everybody in this room has gone over there and poked at that thermostat and pushed every button that they can possibly push, and it ain't working. 
so it's just, it's a little warm. We apologize for that. So get the fans out, you know, whatever. Sorry about that. Um, l- let me pray to start us tonight. Could I please? Father, we, we even begin tonight acknowledging you're the author of the story. You're the center of the story. Your son is the hero of the story. The story is about you and the redemption of the creation that you brought into being. And we're amazed that you would include us in that story. Use tonight to, again, remind us of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of our pride, our rebellion in the face of who you are and what you've done. Guide our times when we look at the word tonight together. Holy Spirit, take the things that maybe people have read over and over again before and bring them to life for these people. that your word would be living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword that pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart tonight. So we ask you for these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So tonight's our last session in the casket section of Casket Empty. What we're going to talk about tonight is what are we to do when we're left wanting in our journey with God? What are we to do when we find ourselves wanting, longing, hoping in our journey with God? Now, the reason we're going to look at that tonight is because that's where the Israelites were when we left them and where we're going to see again tonight. Last week, we talked about the whens. When again was the Babylonian captivity? Give me a date. About 586. And if you want to get your timeline out, this would be a good thing to do right now. So in 586... The Jews were taken to Babylon. 48 years later, in 538, the first group of Jews returned to the land. And then in 516, the temple is completed under Zerubbabel's leadership. 58 years later, in 458, a second return takes place to the land under Ezra's leadership. That's where you left it at several weeks ago in session 17. We're on the precipice of a 400-year silence from God to his nation, and the Old Testament is going to come to a close. That's where we are tonight, and we want to ask again, what are we to do when, we're, when we find ourselves wanting longing, yearning, with no apparent 
satisfaction. Now, you don't have to be an Israelite to feel that. If you're sensitive to the promises of God for the future, we all feel that. In fact, we're told it's right to feel that. We yearn for the future fulfillment of God's promises. So what are we to do with that? What can we learn from the Israelites tonight about that? Now, tonight, I'm just going gonna, gonna to make a disclaimer right up front. You're going to do more work at your tables probably than you've ever done in any one session so far. Okay? So here's the first thing you're going to do. You looked this last week at this passage in Nehemiah 9, verses 6 through 37. And you, if, you, if you went through the assignment, you, you, you blocked that up into the six components of casket. All right, here's what I want you to do at your tables. I want your table leader to assign one of the letters to each person at the table. And I want you to look at those verses that correspond in your book to that segment. But I want you to do something different than what you did in the lesson. I want you to write down what you see God did in that segment. So if you were in creation and you read um, Nehemiah 9, where it would start at, at verse um, 6, blessed be the glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing. You alone are Lord. And then it says, you, may, you made all, everything that is and you give life to everything in the multitudes in it. So that's, that's what you'd write down. You, well, what did God do? He gave life to everything. Okay, so you go through that section for that segment and write down what you see God did. And if there's a mention of anything people did, you write those down. Okay, if you want to add anything to what, what from your own study to that section that Nehemiah doesn't bring up, that's okay too. All right, after you do that individually, then you're going to share those at the table. So one's going to have the C, one's going to have the A, one's going to have the S, one's going to have the K, E, T, right? And then you share those. And then I want you to look for four and five. What adjectives do you, would you, after you've listened to that, what adjectives would you use to describe and his actions toward his people? And what adjectives would you use to describe the actions of people? And then each table is going to share at least two adjectives for each of those. So leaders, at the end of that time, I'm going to ask each table, we're going to write them up on the board, what are the two adjectives that you'd use to describe what God did and who he is? And what are the two adjectives, at least two, you may have more, you can have as much as you want, but at least two for what you see about people and what they did. Is there, is there any question on that now? You got at least 20 minutes to work on this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Beth asked a question. Let me clarify. In your book, on page, on page 109. The author already breaks that section up into each of the letters. 
what verses represent the C, what verses represent the A. So you, at the table, one person only looks at one of the letters. You don't look at all six. You look at one each, okay? Is that clear now, Beth? Okay, thank you. Another point of clarification, I'm sorry. I have this different manual than you all do. It actually is on 140 in the smaller book. I'm sorry, so I said 109, that's in this one. 140, thank you, Herb. Now we got everybody on the same page? We got another clarification, sorry. I, I, I didn't realize your book was different than my book. So the, there's no K-E-T in your book. Okay, let me tell you the verses for K-E-T. The verses for K are 22 to 28. The verses for E are 29 to 31. The verses for T are 32 to 37. I'll repeat that. The verses for K are 22 to 28. E, 29 to 31. T, 32 to 37. Thank you so much for asking these questions. I apologize for mixing you all up. A typo in the book, apparently, too, that Jen just observed. It's got Sinai as 9 to 31 in your book. It's 9 to 21. If you're, so you're not, you're not going all the way to 31. Sinai is 9 to 21. Well, who published this book anyway? My goodness. <laughs> Next week, you're going to bring her down. Table leaders, if you could lead your groups to trying to wrap up in the next minute or two, what their observations are and what God did and start sharing those, that would be good. Two more minutes and then you need to start working on your adjectives if you're not already there. If you're already there, keep working on them. All right, leaders, you need to be transitioning your group to, to come up with these two adjectives at least for God and the people. I'm gonna be calling on you in five minutes. What, what two adjectives would you use to describe God and his actions? And what two adjectives would you use to describe the people? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now poll each of the tables. I'm going to start back at Matt's table. Matt, what are some of your adjectives to describe God and his actions from your table? Uh, faithfulness and righteousness. Oh. Faithful, righteous. There we go. Okay. And how about people? Uh, well, we've got... Is this on? Uh, so we had what he said about God, and we also had loving, just, long-suffering, merciful, and gracious. Loving, just, long-suffering. Now, by the way, we're not pulling everybody at, every, at the table. You all need to unitedly agree what you're going to, from this we point on. We unitedly agreed on this. Okay, that's good. <laughs> what was the last one? Just and uh, long long-suffering. Suffering. That long was what, yeah. Um, man, okay, and then for people. Uh, Rebellious, weak, and forgetful. Can you all hear them over there? Rebellious, weak, and forgetful. Rebellious, weak, and forgetful. Okay? Lance, your table, please. Okay. Uh, for God, we had merciful and awesome. Okay, merciful. Awesome. Okay, Vince. What else? And then for people, we had uh, stiff-necked and disobedient. Stiff-necked. Disobedient. Great. Anything else? This table here, please. Jen? Oh. Uh, for God, we have uh, compassionate. 
Okay. And relational. And for people, we have proud and greedy. Proud and what was the other one? Greedy. Greedy, okay. Great. Next table here. For God, we had holy. Okay. And unwavering. Okay, and that would be like faithful. Can I put that along with faithful? Yeah, absolutely. Unwavering. <laughs> and then uh, for the people, we had sinful and ungrateful. Ungrateful and sinful. Okay, great. You guys are doing great. Okay, next table. For God, we had faithful and aboundingly generous. Okay, generous. I'm just going to put that one, but you had the abounding. Oh, I got that, okay? And for people, we had self-centered and idolatrous. Self-centered. Idolatrous. Okay, great. Next table. So a lot of these are taken, of course. But That's I'm all right. We're voting. So keep okay. going. Tell us if you had the same ones. <laughs> so do, okay. Speak into the mic so they can hear you, please. All right. So a compassionate. Can you hear them? Yeah. Okay, good. Compassionate. All right. Got another vote there. Okay. Patient. Patient. That's long-suffering. Can I call that? Okay. Great. Anything else? Uh, for people. Uh-huh. Um, arrogant. Okay, that's proud. We got that. Arrogant. And rebellious. And we got rebellious already up there. Another vote for there. Great. Perfect. Next table. Okay. Uh, the two we settled on for God were patient okay. and forgiving. For Patient. And do we have forgiving up there? No, we don't. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Forgiving. And what about for people? For people, we, uh, we settled on selfish. Okay. We have that up here. Disobedient. And disobedient. Which I think you have Great. Okay, next table. For God, we have creative and determined. Creative and determined. And the people were stubborn. And this is going to be a little different. We had a hint of faithfulness, which didn't last very okay, long. Okay, so we got stubborn in here. That was already in there once. Where was that? Stiff necked? Is that stubborn? No. <laughs> stubborn and hints of. Faithfulness, is that what you said? Yes. Hints. And we're we'll make that really small hints. <laughs> hints of faithfulness. Okay, great. Okay, next table. Okay, uh, we have, uh, for God, we have gracious. Okay, we got gracious up there somewhere. I've got to have it. No, we don't. Gracious, okay. And uh, promise keeper. Okay, and so that's unwavering faithfulness. Promise keeper, PK. Okay. For the people, we have uh, disobedient and stubborn. Disobedient, stubborn. Okay, great. Next table. Okay, for God, we had patient. Which patient? Okay. And perfect. Perfect. Uh huh. And then for people, we had. Stubborn, rebellious, and argumentative. Stubborn, rebellious, and what was the last one? Ash? Argumentative. Uh, argumentative. Argumentative. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand no, you. That's okay. 
What are you saying anyway? That was a poor attempt at humor. Sorry. Next table. We had synonyms for each one of the words up there. Okay. That's good. No, uh, God, we had powerful and uh, covenant maker. Okay. Powerful. Covenant maker. And uh, for the people, we had ungrateful. Uh And you probably, yeah, you already have rebellious. Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay. Um, for we for God, we had provider. I guess an adjective would be providential. Pro- provider, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. And then um, for the people, we had wayward. Wayward. Good. Okay. All right. Great. You guys are doing fantastic. Keep going. Next table. Go ahead, Beth. For God, we had just and merciful. I think so we got another merciful. We got just is not up there, I don't think. Oh, it is? Well, I'm sorry. Oh, there it is. Thank you. And paying attention. For the people, we had idolatrous and stiff-necked. 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 Okay, great. Next table. Um, for God, we had some um, winners. Consistent. Merciful, which is... I think already up. Consistent. And what was the other one, JJ? Merciful. Merciful. Okay, we got that up here. Uh huh. We also had persistent. Persistent. Okay. Okay. Then we had just. Just. Okay, we got that up there somewhere. Yep. Yeah. And patient. Patient. We got that. How about for people? Disobedient. Okay. Miserable. Miserable. Oh, that's interesting. Good. They had a lot of misery. So. Okay. Um, churlish. What? What does that mean? I'm an engineer. Come on, man. I'm an engineer. What? It basically means to be surly. Surly. Surlish? Okay. Churlish. Churly. But oh, sorry. It means okay. to be surly. All right. To be surly. Okay. All right. Now. You all done? You got one more, Carrie? No, no. All right, now, in this section of Nehemiah 9, 6 through 37, you have an incredibly rich minefield. Right here, you have God's Holy Spirit's summation of the whole first section of the redemptive story. The Spirit of God is saying, this is what the first part of the story is all about in those verses. You should read these regularly. You should meditate on them. We just, we've just begun the very beginning of, the, of tapping into the riches here tonight. But look at what we see. Do you see the incredible contrast that God is trying to impress upon us between who he is and what he's done and who we are and what we've done? It's an amazing picture. It's a humbling picture, isn't it? You all saw some of this. It's not like, oh, then the first section they did great, and the second section they did really good, and the third. No, it's like over and over and over again, same thing. God's this way, 
and we're this way. That's where we are right now in the story. In 458, if you remember, 458, that was when the second group of people went back to Jerusalem. 13 years later, when Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, living in Susa. If you want to know where Susa is, again, look at your map here. It's over here in Persia. Right there. He hears about, in 445, the state of the disrepair of the walls in Jerusalem. It breaks his heart. He cries out to God for compassion before Artaxerxes. Four months later, he's before the king, and the king says, what's wrong? And he tells him about the state of Jerusalem, and he asks him for the freedom to go back to Jerusalem and actually take wood from the king's for us to rebuild the walls. And in 52 days, miraculously, the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt. And there is a huge celebration that takes place. They read the law for days. Then they come to this place on the 24th day where they confess their sins and they recall the story that we just looked at. In the gathering of all the people. This stuck out to me so much because I want you to do the next section as a group again. If you were going to summarize, I think this side, I think Exodus 34 6 is a great passage to summarize it. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here is Moses's, by the Spirit of God, summation of that in one verse, two verses, actually. It's great. Now, Let's look at God's summation in Jeremiah of the people. All this, my people have committed two evils. Heavens, be shocked at this. Be appalled. Be utterly desolate. Because my people have done these things. They have forsaken me this well of living water and dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They've said, we're better off without God. We're going to reject his authority in our life and we're going to do as we darn well please. And that is a recounting of exactly what Adam and Eve said in the garden. This is at the core of our problem. We forsake the living well. We think we're better off without him. We think I'm better to tell myself what's right and wrong. And I'll reject him as the authority of my life and I'll decide what I'm going to do. So then Nehemiah has this incredible 
experience with the people rebuilding the walls. And in Nehemiah 9.38, it closes with this verse. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. Putting it in writing. And our leaders and Levites and our priests are affixing their seals on it. And I want you to look at 10, 28 to 39 and see what they committed to doing. Okay? As a group, discover what they said. We will do this. Then, when you're done with that, look at Nehemiah 13, 6 to 27. Because Nehemiah is there 12 years, and then he leaves and goes back to Susa. When he comes back, he discovers what's actually happened. We don't know exactly how long he was away, but I want you to see, again, the contrast between what they promised to do and what they actually did. Go to your tables. Got it? Okay. Could I have you, could I have you back here now? I want you to remember again that they have just recounted the redemptive story history of their repeated failure and upon failure upon failure, and what did they do? They make an oath. We'll do better this time. We'll double down on the bets. We'll write it down. We'll bind it to our leaders. And all they're basically saying and what they promised to do is they're going to keep the law, which has been in existence for a long time. And they violate it over and over and over again. But they're going to go, this is the way it's going to change. We're going to try harder. Nehemiah comes back a little while later and they violated the major commitments of everyone that they made. They intermarried. They rejected the Sabbath. They treated the house of God with disrespect. And the Levites and the worshipers had to even leave the house because they wouldn't, they wouldn't even support them anymore. And I want you to notice, Lee, I don't, if, you, if you didn't get that far, please look at Nehemiah's response. He rebukes them. He threatens their merchants. He calls down curses on them. And he beats some of the men and started to pull their hair out. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with us? I mean, seriously, look at that. And then he, what does he do? The last thing? He makes them take another what? Another oath. Chris has talked in the book of Judges about this ongoing cycle, and we see it again here. Blessing, forget God, judgment comes, cry out, mercy, blessing, same thing over and over again. And it just stuck with me that this is the way the people thought it was going to change. Now, there's some unfulfilled promises at this point. Four major ones that uh, Carol Kaminsky repeats over and over again. The first one is, that has not come about yet is the glory of God has not returned to the temple or to Israel. He is not with them in visible presence. His kingdom with him is to come restoring his people to the land and a place of prominence with the Davidic king who would rule forever. 
There was judgment still to come to Israel's enemies and salvation to the ends of the earth and the Abrahamic promise of the blessings to all the earth are yet to be fulfilled. Now, these have still got to be fulfilled and God is this way. He's gonna fulfill them, but not the way the people think he is by them trying harder. Because God must deal with the major recurring problem. In order to fulfill those promises, he must do something with the recurring problem. And what is that problem? Beth says, it's us. And that's right, but it's even deeper than that. What is it? Say, I couldn't hear you. Sin. What, but deeper, what's got to change is our hearts. Our hearts have got to change. And he says, we've got stony hearts that are resistant to God. A stone is lifeless. It's, irri- it's, it's unresponsive to God. And so no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they commit, their hearts are not in a place to respond in any way but this. Notice what they don't do. They don't cry out and say, God, would you please change us? God, we cannot do this. Would you help us? They don't do that. They don't say, we've got a problem we can't solve. Our heart is our center of our soul. It's the intersection of our, bi- of our mind, emotions, and will. It's what controls us. It's where all our longings come from. It's where all our strategies to fulfill those longings come from. And those, the deep in our heart is this again, what? Our pride? We're better off without God. Our rebellion? We reject his authority our disobedience, we will decide what is right and what is wrong. And until that changes, nothing in the story is going to change. But God understood that because he made a promise in Ezekiel 36. And I want you to read this just to yourself and I want you, and then just what stands out to you? Just read it to yourself. And then what stands out to you? Okay, what stands out to you as you read that passage? Yeah. God's doing the work. God's doing the work. What we can't do, he's going to do. What else? I think yeah, Michael. Flesh to me. What's that? It's part of flesh. That he would remove that rock that we think we have to have. We're tough, and so we think to have a, a, a hardened heart, not a hard heart spiritually, although it is, but to think we have to have a tough heart is powerful. God says, I'll take your stone heart out. You go, wait, no, that's strong. But I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. We know that's a failing heart, but that's what he wants us to have. To me, that's, that's always jumped out of this. That's, I don't know. Yeah, do you see that? Great, Michael. Do you see the contrast? What's a heart of stone versus a heart of flesh? What's the difference? Heart of flesh is soft versus hard. Heart of stone is what? Lifeless. Heart of flesh is full of life. Exactly. Okay, so that's the second part of it. He gives us a new heart and he puts his spirit in us so that what happens? He causes us to walk in his 
causes us to walk in his ways. All the things we could never do, God was going to do for us by giving us a new heart and putting his spirit within us. And why is he going to do this according to what he says there? It's not for your sake, Israel. It's for the sake of my name, which has been profaned among the nations. Now, you're going to benefit from this. Certainly you are. You get new hearts. But I'm doing this because my name has been marred, and I will not tolerate that any longer. In these bags are stones for every one of you. I'd love for you to pick up one. Take it home. Put it somewhere where you can see it regularly. And remember, that's what God took out of you. So that you could be different. You could be someone who could fulfill the design God has for people. It's an incredibly powerful image because it reminds us it is not up to us. Okay, now, here's the way I want you to now go to a time of personal reflection. I want you to think for a, for a moment about the times and the people of the fifth through the first century. That's what we just left in the fifth, for, uh, the fifth century and it's gonna go 400 years, right? I want you to think about those times and then I want you to think about today and our times, okay? And then I want you to write down what similarities and what differences are there between their time and our time and us and them? Okay, does that make sense? Then, if I want you to think for a moment, if you could be transported back to that time in the fifth through the first century, what would you say to an Israelite? And lastly, what might God be saying to us today as we close out this portion of the redemptive story in the Old Testament? You got 15 minutes to work on this. Okay, could I have your attention? Um, I've asked you to work a lot tonight, and I appreciate that, uh, your willingness to um, go along with my uh, desires for this time tonight. And I hope if you've not finished this exercise that you would take some time this week and actually prayerfully work through that. Um, you see, as I, as I began to study for this section, I was, very I was very impressed with the similarities between the Israelites and us today. You see, the Israelites had seen God's faithfulness but yet they were living in a place of promises unfulfilled. They were wanting. And what did they need to do? They needed to repent and turn from their pride and rebellion to trust in God and hope in what is to come because they had no idea really what was coming, did they? 
and they almost completely missed it. We see that now. It's like you guys can't even hardly imagine. So what would you say to the Israelites? What were some of the things that came to your mind? What would you say to them if you got transported back? Anybody get that far? Read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Okay, read that passage. Yes, Kathy? The new covenant's great. <laughs> Hang on. It's coming. Yeah. Yes. I would tell them that God is gracious to the worst sinner who repents. Excellent. Yeah, Jeff. The day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. How about that? Any other? Liam, you want to say something? Uh, I said, I would ask him, why do you do this? Be patient with God, for he takes time. His promises will be fulfilled later in time. I know because I am from the future. <laughs> I know because what was that last thing? Oh, I'm from the future. There, I'm back to the future. There you go. Way to go, Liam. Okay. Yes, Carrie. Yes. And we do not have to do this journey of faith on our own. Because in fact, they couldn't. Now, we're just like, in, in, in these ways, I think we're just like that. We've seen the faithfulness of God and his goodness. We have promises unfulfilled, don't we? We don't have the full redemption of all creation. We live in the now, but not yet, Right? And, and in fact, there are two places in the New Testament where we're told we ought to be groaning. Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 5. And I think one of the measures of a mature believer is their freedom and their, to groan and their willingness to acknowledge their wanting. But see, when we want and we're impatient, we're just, we have the same propensity to pride, to rebellion and to disobedience. We can be just like that, can't we? I can at least. The difference though is God, by what Carrie even just said, has given us the ability to actually repent. To turn to God and say, not my will for the restoration, but your will be done. Your time. And in the meantime, I will hope in what is to come. Even though I can't imagine it, I will try. I will try to stir that part of me to look at what the restoration will actually be look like so that that rises up in me. I won't thwart that. So to me, I felt like God had a message for us tonight, sitting here wanting. And so what do we do? We remember the past, what God did and who he is. We look to the future of who God is and what we will do, what he will do, and we imagine, we let our hearts open up to what actually might 
be, knowing that just as when Jesus came, they couldn't imagine, how much more are we going to be astounded when he comes again? We are going to be blown away. Just as, as the Israelites would have been blown away when they, if they saw this Jesus coming and embraced it. So what do you do when you're left wanting in your journey with God? The Israelites and God's spirit teach us these things. Okay, can I pray? <sighs> Father, thank you for giving us yearning hearts now, live hearts for the redemption of this creation you say, we groan, we can't wait to be freed from the bondage that we still live in. The brokenness that we still struggle with will be free. And so will this creation. And it is going to astound us. So would you give us the grace, Holy Spirit, to acknowledge when we're impatient, when we're frustrated with the world around us and the lack of redemption that's there, when we're frustrated when we look in and the lack of redemption within us, would you give us grace to trust you, to not double down like the Israelites, but to trust you to fulfill what you alone can fulfill. And that's the redemption of your creation, including us. So thanks for these people. Thank you for their heart, desire to learn more about you and the redemptive story now. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.